You are listening to the Grace Church of Mapton podcast. This week's sermon by Pastor Adam Copenhaver covers John 4, 1 through 18. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you, Cole, for reading our text. Have you ever felt like the good news of Jesus is too good to be true, or at least too good to be true for you? Maybe all this love, grace, mercy, all these good things from Jesus, well, that must be for other people out there, but surely that can't be for someone like me. Yeah, I can understand that Jesus would love them, but to love me? Maybe not so much. Look at, look at my life. Look at the awful things I've done. Look at how bad my life has gone. Look at the things I've suffered. It sure seems like Jesus wouldn't want much to do with me. Have you ever felt that way? This text, John chapter 4, this story of Jesus with this woman, it overflows with good news. For any of us who have ever felt so down and out that we think that Jesus must not love us. This is a good, good news kind of story for us because through this story, this interaction Jesus has with this woman, we, we come to see that Jesus' love and the good news of Jesus is for absolutely everyone. And that we are never too far away, we're never too far down, we're never too lowly, we've never messed up so badly that we're beyond Jesus' love and his grace. So there's good news in this text for us today. A very interesting story to think about and talk through and also a very good and encouraging message for us, a message of hope and of love from Jesus. So here's our outline for today as we think through this part of the story together, and we'll be working on this story again next week as well. The outline is in your bulletin if you want to have that out, if you want to take notes as we move through it, and also here on the screen. But our first point of forbidden conversation, and we'll see why Jesus never really should have ever had this conversation in the first place with this woman, but he does anyway. Then second, we'll talk about living water, and we'll see the good news of what Jesus offers to her. And then third, hope for the broken. And we'll see that Jesus offers her this living water, all the while knowing just how broken and down and out she really is. So first, a forbidden conversation. A forbidden conversation. In this text, in this story, Jesus is on a journey. He has been in a region called Judea which is where the city of Jerusalem is. He's been teaching, he's been baptizing, and now he's heading north to a place called Galilee. So he's going from the region of Judea north to a region called Galilee, and right smack in the middle of these two regions is a third region called Samaria. So if you can imagine this, it's kind of like today if we were driving from where we are in Washington, and if you said, well, I'm going to go on a trip to California, And if you're going from Washington to California, what do you have to drive through to get there? A little place called Oregon, right? About six hours or so of your drive is going to be going through Oregon. You could go around Oregon, but that would be pretty inconvenient to try to get around Oregon on your way to California. You kind of have to go through Oregon. And so in the same way, verse 4 says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria on this journey. So here's what it looks like. I think we've got a map here. If we can put the map up on the screen. You can see what it looks like there. you got Judea down in the south. This is in the Middle East, of course, the Mediterranean Sea on the left there, but Judea down in the south of Jerusalem. 
Galilee, you can see up in the north. That's where Jesus grew up, up in Nazareth. He's been down in Judea. He wants to go to Galilee. And what's in the middle? Oregon. <laughs> Samaria, right in the middle. So he could go around if he really wanted to, but that would add several days of walking to his journey. So he's going to go through Samaria. This journey from Judea to Samaria probably something like a couple hundred miles or so of walking that Jesus is going to do. It's a several day journey. And of course, it's hot in that part of the world. It's a desert kind of climate wilderness that he's walking through. And so as he's on this journey, as he's going through this area of Samaria, he comes to a well. And this is kind of a natural stopping point on your journey to stop at this well. It's called Jacob's Well in verse 6. It's a well that has roots all the way back into the first parts of the Old Testament where this guy Jacob, he's a grandson of Abraham. This is where he watered his flocks. And so this well is probably a spring of water of some sort. It's been producing water for a very long time. It's a place where you could go get a drink of water if you had a jar of some sort to draw out the water. Verse 6 tells us that when Jesus reaches this well... It's about the sixth hour, and the way they counted time, they began at sunrise, started counting the hours, and so if sunrise is somewhere around 6 a.m., the sixth hour is basically noon, okay? So you know that noon is the hottest part of the day. It's a very hot part of the day. Jesus has been walking all morning in the heat. He's tired, and he is thirsty, and so he stops at this well. In verse 7, as he's at this well, along comes a woman from Samaria to draw water. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. He's saying, on, on this journey I've been walking on, I haven't been carrying along a jar that I could use to draw water out of this well. But the woman has her jar with her. And so Jesus says, could you give me some water out of this well? We're told in verse 8, Jesus, he's alone at this time. His disciples had gone ahead of him into the town nearby to buy food. The well is outside of town. People are walking out of town to draw water like this woman is. And so all of this seems like a very natural, reasonable kind of conversation to have. Jesus is on the road going north. People travel this road. There's a well there. There's a woman coming out. Naturally, a, a thirsty traveler would ask a local person to help them get some water. But notice the, the woman's response in verse 9. And here's where the story starts to take an interesting turn. The woman, we would expect her to say, oh, sure, let me get you some water. Like, of course you would ask, of course I would give you water. But look how she responds in verse 9. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She's shocked. Stunned. This is unexpected. When she approached this well and saw Jesus there, she never expected him to ask this question. You're a Jew, she says. I'm a Samaritan. How could you ask me for a drink? And then John, who's writing this story, he gives us a little piece of helpful information. In the end of verse 9, he gives a little explanation. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And, and John is actually probably, if anything, being kind when he says it like that. That's, it's a bit of an understatement. And in reality, Jews and Samaritans, 
<clears throat> this time they had a long history of several hundred years of hating one another. The, the animosity between Jews and Samaritans, it, it reached back about a thousand years before the days of Jesus. This is like history from even Jesus' day. A thousand years before this interaction, in a thousand BC, this conflict started between these two groups of people. And what had happened, just to give you a brief summary here, a little, little historical background. But what had happened, if you go back to that time, you have King David, king of Israel, and then shortly after King David, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. And you had what was called the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. And if you remember the map, the Northern Kingdom is basically where Samaria is on that map in Jesus' day. The Southern Kingdom is basically where Judea is. So two kingdoms. And then a couple hundred years later, another kingdom called the Assyrian Empire conquered the Northern part, that land of Samaria. Assyria came, and this is like 800 BC, conquered the northern kingdom. is a judgment from God upon them and so on. And the Assyrians, here's what the Assyrians did. They said, they're a pagan nation, the Assyrians are, and they said to the Jews who live in that northern kingdom, we want you to become Assyrians. And here's how we're going to do that. You, Jewish people, are going to marry Assyrians. And you're going to have babies who are half Assyrian and half Jewish. And then they are going to marry Assyrians. Your children will marry Assyrians, and they will marry Assyrians. And you give it a few generations, and what's happened to your Jewish heritage and ethnicity? Well, it's basically gone, disappeared, and this is what happened. They intermarried for a few hundred years. Those Jews intermarried with Assyrians. And so by the time you get to Jesus' day, you have two groups of people. You have the Jews in Judea who never intermarried like this, or at least this is their, their pride, their boast, their claim, that they are fully Jewish. Their ancestors were always faithful to God. Their blood is 100% pure, and we're, we know it, and we're proud of it. And then you have the Samaritans living in Samaria, and they have mixed blood. Generations, hundreds of years of generations of Assyrians and Jewish ancestry and ethnicity all blended together in their heritage. And so, of course, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. They despised them. You're lower than us. You're less than us. And the Samaritans gave it right back to the Jews. And so there are hundreds of years of stories that we won't get into of how the Jews and the Samaritans, how they skirmished and fought and poked at each other and constantly in conflict. The Jews decided, we have the temple in Jerusalem, so you Samaritans, you're not good enough. You can't come into the temple and worship. So then the Samaritans built their own temple, so we'll worship over here then. Well, then they like to sneak into each other's temples and desecrate them. We'll bring human bones and throw them into your temple. We'll come, we'll attack, we'll stab and kill your priests today. You know, if you travel through the other persons, the other group's region, you could expect to be at risk. You're going to be despised. You're on hostile territory. You're going to be perhaps attacked or robbed or worse. And so many Jews, actually, in Jesus' day, if they were going to take the journey Jesus is taking from Judea up to Galilee, they would actually go out of their way. They would refuse to ever set foot in Samaria. Don't want to have to deal with it. 
I don't want to have to see those Samaritans. I don't want to have to buy bread from them. I don't want to have to go through their towns. I don't want to drink water from their well. And so their hatred would cause them to go all the way around Samaria rather than go through it. This is the, the history here. Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. You avoid them at all costs. They're too far beneath you. You don't interact with them. But Jesus, who grew up as a Jew, seems to have missed the memo. Somehow all of that was lost on him. And he just strikes up a normal, casual conversation with a Samaritan woman. Hey, can I have some water from your jar? And of course, she is shocked. How You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan, don't you know? How can you ask me for a drink? She asks this question of Jesus, but Jesus doesn't give her a direct answer to it. He just keeps right on talking, like, naturally, I talk to you. And he's going to go on to talk about living water. But just in the fact that he strikes up this conversation, already we can see that, that it's obvious that for Jesus, the, the boundaries that separate people in his world, they simply don't apply to Jesus. Call it a cultural barrier. Call it hostility. Whatever it is, ethnicity, the fact that Jews don't associate with Samaritans means nothing to Jesus. Jesus just walks right over that barrier like it's not even there. He shows kindness and love to all people, including in this story to the very person he is supposed to hate, and he loves her. And so the implication of this story, it's already very strong and very clear and coming through that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, your social status. Jesus simply does not care. He'll sit down with you. He'll talk with you. He'll share a cup of water with you. And so that brings us then to our second point in the good news. Then what does Jesus go on to say to this woman? What does he offer to her? And so our second point now, living water, and we're looking, we're thinking now about verses 10 through 15, the living water that Jesus offers to her. In verse 10, Jesus begins speaking kind of in riddles, and he begins shifting the conversation away from the literal water in this well and in their jar that they're going to drink when they're thirsty. He begins shifting from that to more of a metaphorical type of water, speaking of a spiritual kind of water and of life that he gives to those who believe. And so he says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He just says, I know I look like a thirsty, tired traveler because that's what I am. And you have the water jar and access to the water in the well Naturally, I asked you for water. Jesus says, if you knew who I really am, if you knew what God is ready to give to you through me, you would have actually asked me, and I would give you living water. And now Jesus, he uses this phrase, living water. And there's kind of a, a bit of a play on words here, because living water, I don't know if, if we really use this language very much anymore, but if you if you think of living water, it's kind of the opposite of still water. You know, like you can have water in a pond or a puddle or a lake that's just kind of sitting there. But living water is water that's moving, 
like a river or a stream, a spring. And so that can be a form of living water. It's water that's on the move. And of course, if you're going to get a drink of water out in the wild somewhere, would you rather drink living water that's moving or still water that's stagnant? (laughs) Who would rather drink the living water? And who'd rather drink the water out of the puddle or pond or something like that? Right? Living water is fresher, it's cleaner, it's just more desirable, cooler, and so on. And so he's talking about living water. It's water that's on the move. There's a source and a supply of water. But also his play on words here a little bit is that this is also water that gives life. All water sustains life, of course, even literally. But here he's talking about a spiritual kind of life that comes from this water. And so living water, it's a, it's a source of water. It's water that gives life. And Jesus says, you would have asked me, and this is what I would have given you, living water. But this kind of confuses the woman. She hasn't figured out yet that Jesus is not talking about literal water. And so she wants to know in verse 11, well, where are you going to get this water from? The only source of water here in this part of the wilderness, she says, this part of the desert, is this well. And you don't even have a jar to get water out of this well. Where are you going to get water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob? You're saying for 2,000 years, this has been the source of water. What's your source of water? It's a mystery to her. In verses 13 and 14, Jesus kind of continues on with this riddle, but it's becoming more and more clear that he's talking about spiritual life. So in verse 13, he says, Everyone who drinks of this water, this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, a source of water welling up to eternal life. And so Jesus now, he begins painting a picture here of of what we've been seeing throughout the book of John, that Jesus has come into the world to bring life into the world. If you remember all the way back to the opening verses of this whole gospel of John, in verse 4 of chapter 1, start right off, in Jesus is life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We've seen he's the one who provides the wine at the wedding feast. Through Jesus, a person can be born again and enter the kingdom of heaven, he told Nicodemus. Through Jesus and believing in him, you'll not perish but have eternal life. And now Jesus says to the woman at the well, I've come to bring you water. Water that will be inside you like a spring of water, a source of water that will fill you up and bring you life all the way to and through eternal life. It will satisfy your soul, Jesus says, the water I give, in such a way that you will never thirst again. Everything you need spiritually for spiritual life, fullness of life with God now and for all eternity, that's what I've come to give you when you believe in me, Jesus says. Woman at this point still doesn't quite get it, She's still thinking a little too literally. Sir, give me this water, she says in verse 15. So I won't thirst to have to come here again to draw water. She's thinking, wow, that would be pretty cool. Every day I have to come out here and do all this work of drawing water. Wouldn't it be great to never never have to worry about drinking water ever again? 
Have you ever, ever crossed your mind like how nice life would be if you never got thirsty? Wouldn't that be amazing? Anybody with me on that? Okay, just me? Okay. That's what she's thinking. She's thinking literally. But Jesus is trying to get her to think a little deeper. Think more internally. Think of her soul. Think of her spiritual thirst. And so what Jesus does next, very interesting, he points her to her deeper thirst by pointing to her brokenness. And this takes us then to our third point, hope for the broken. Hope for the broken. And now things begin to get real. And, and this is one of the, the things that sometimes maybe surprises us a little bit about the Christian faith and about Jesus, that Jesus, he, he's not afraid to go there, to talk about the real stuff, the big issues, the hard things, the painful things, the things that we're so ashamed of. Sometimes maybe we think, you know, Christians, they should just stay in their lane. Like, you know, love people, hand out water, you know, talk about some spiritual stuff, sure, but stay out of my life. What's my business is my business. Don't meddle. But Jesus meddles, and he goes there. So in verse 16, he makes an abrupt shift. Not about water now, but now he says, go call your husband and come here. Go call your husband, he says. Bring him back. And the woman answers, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. I knew that when I told you that, Jesus is saying. You've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband at all. What you have said is true. Okay, Jesus, what's your game here? Why ask her to get her husband when you already know she has no husband? Why bring up her past? Are you just trying to pour salt in her wounds? Why would you do this? This woman has had five husbands. This would not have been five husbands at one time, but she has cycled through one husband after another, after another, after another. We don't know why she's been through so many husbands. It's possible she has been widowed five times. Do you imagine marrying and then burying a husband five times? The pain, the grief. If, if that's the case, if you've buried five husbands, then probably everybody starts looking at you with a little bit of suspicion. What's wrong with her that her husbands keep dying? Is she sprinkling a little something in their, in their Wheaties in the morning? Or is she cursed? Does God not love her if he keeps taking her husbands away from her? Maybe she's been divorced five times. In those days, in that world, wives did not divorce their husbands, but husbands divorced their wives. This would mean that she's pretty good, at, if she's been divorced five times, she's pretty good at getting guys to fall in love with her and to marry her. But once they've married her five times, she's been rejected. Once they get close, once they get to know her, they've rejected her and thrown her out like yesterday's trash. Has she been widowed five times? Has she been rejected, divorced five times? Some combination? No matter how you put those pieces together, we can only try to imagine 
the amount of pain that she has experienced in her life. And no wonder now that she's found a sixth man, they've decided maybe we just won't bother with marriage at all. Why bother with marriage if she, he's just going to die and I'm going to have to bury him? Or he's just going to divorce me anyway? And so they're living together unmarried. And that's a relatively common thing in our world today. It's kind of broadly acceptable in our world today. In that world, is a very shameful thing to do. To give yourself to a man who won't even commit to you in marriage. Very shameful. She would have been an outcast in her society, the lowest the most despised woman in town in all likelihood. So what has Jesus done here? Go call your husband. You're right, you've had five husbands. Now you're with a man who's not your husband. He's just outed her deepest hurts, her greatest shame, and put them right in the middle of the conversation. And Jesus is saying, look, you can't hide from me. I see you. I see through you. I see all the way into your soul. And you're a thirsty person, Jesus says. And you know it, and I know it. You've been trying to satisfy something in your soul, a thirst in your soul with men. Just one more marriage. Just one more man. Next time it'll all work out and I'll be satisfied. But it's not been working for you. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, God had a message for the people of Israel through Jeremiah the prophet. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, here's what the Lord said to his people. This is Jeremiah 2, 13. God says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, he says, the fountain of living waters. And they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, more or less dug wells for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Two sins, the Lord says. The first is rejecting God, who is the fountain of living water. And once you've rejected God and the water he offers, the life he offers, then the second sin follows naturally when we've rejected him. We go out and dig our own cisterns. I'm going to find my own source of water that will satisfy my soul. But the wells we dig, the cisterns we chase, the water we go after, they're broken. They don't hold water. They don't satisfy us. And that's what the Samaritan woman has done. She has spent her entire life digging her own well, looking for what will satisfy her soul. But the more she digs, the more times she gets married, the worse it gets for her. And Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you the water you truly need, water for your soul so you will never thirst again. Living water that goes so down deep into you that it becomes like a spring of water that never runs out, that goes all the way to eternal life. Water that will soothe the pain in your soul. Water that will comfort your hurts. Water that will forgive your sins. Wash away your shame and guilt and give you new life. The Samaritan woman, she's a broken woman. And Jesus goes straight to her brokenness and he gives her hope. Good news of living water. And Jesus does it in such a way that this woman does not feel judged by him. She doesn't feel shamed. 
She feels overwhelmed with the goodness of his love. And, and next week when we continue in the story, we'll see that how this woman responds, that she goes running into the town and calls out to everyone, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? This is good news to her. This guy knows everything I did. And then the, what she doesn't say, but it's implied, and he loves me. And he offered me living water. This is good news. It's good news for this woman, and it's good news for us. That Jesus knows us, he knows our brokenness, and he loves us and offers us living water. So I wonder today if Jesus were to sit down next to you after a little casual conversation about a drink of water, talk about the weather, whatever, and then if you were to say, okay, let's get down to business. Let's get to the real stuff in your life. I wonder what he would talk about for you. Where he says, I already know because I know you. And so let's just put it on the table and call it what it is. Where's that broken well in your life that you've been digging rather than turning to Jesus for living water? What have you been chasing in hopes that it will satisfy? And you know, if you're honest, it's never really worked. And you're not satisfied. Where's your brokenness? What's your deepest pain? Your greatest shame? What's the one thing in your life more than anything else that makes you feel like you're at the bottom? that you're worthless, that you're trash. People who, if anybody knew this about me, they would want nothing to do with me. What are those things that Jesus would want to talk about? And then here's the good news for us. Jesus already knows. He already knows those things. And he still loves you. He still draws near to you, reaches out to you, and says, my living water is for you to satisfy you and your soul. And he delights to give his living water to everyone, even to the most broken of all people. This is where he gets his highest glory, where his abundant love and grace is most on display when he pours it out to us in our brokenness when we believe in him. So it's good news. His living water is for everyone, and everyone includes you. And it includes me. It's for Nicodemus, who we saw back in chapter 3. If you remember, Nicodemus had life all together, powerful, religious, everything going his way, living water for him. And it's for the Samaritan woman, who's at the bottom, whose life is broken, and who is in pieces. Living water for all of us. No one is too high that we don't need his living water. No one's too low that we no longer deserve or worth his living water. It's for you. It's for me. Even for you and for me. When we believe in Jesus, when we turn to him in faith and surrender him our lives, Jesus says, welcome, my love, my gift of living water. It's for you. So much water, so much life in your soul that you'll never thirst again. It's everything you need for eternity all the hope, all the joy, all the peace that you need. So come to me and drink my living water. Do you know Jesus? Have you received this living water? 
Here's the good news. Here's what Jesus says. Whoever drinks of the water that I give you will never be thirsty again. It will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so may we all believe in Jesus and have this living water inside of us. Amen. This has been a podcast from Grace Church of Mabton. For more information, visit our website at mabtongbc.org.